We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and getting better with me. I'm always impressed as to how much great feedback I get from both the guests and the listeners of this podcast. So please keep it up. I really appreciate all of it. Also, Wanted to quickly let you know about the release of the audio version of my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, narrated by David A. Knasser. If you want to support the show, you can buy it wherever audiobooks are sold. Links are also in the show notes. Now, on to my guest for today, Sadal Trubosky, CEO and founder of several startups, including Open Grants, which we'll talk about today. Sadal dropped out of college to become a river guide. Finding he had a lot of downtime during that, he learned how to write code and build websites to make money. Soon he was working for big businesses, which led him to the startup world. His first business was a collaboration with someone who was also traveling the world and who recognized Sadal as someone who could work with. Currently, Sadal heads Open Grants, a site dedicated to providing more transparency, and ease in the grant funding process. Many of you might know that finding and applying for government grants and bidding on projects can be a frustrating and complex process. Open Grants is trying to make this process easier and more transparent 
by providing a centralized platform to bring together potential grantors and grantees. In this conversation, we talk about how entrepreneurs can start navigating the maze of government bureaucracy and eventually help change it. Now, let's get better together. Sadel Turbovsky, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It is great to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm excited too. I mean, I'm excited with a lot of guests. I always say that. I always mean it. <laughs> so I'm just excitable. Uh, I love talking to entrepreneurs. I love talking to people that are doing cool things. You're doing some really cool stuff with open grants, which I never knew existed until we got introduced. In fact, it was, I think, the John Deary episode where you literally cold outreached me on LinkedIn. And you're like, hey, man, this is really cool. And I'm like, wow, someone actually listens. <laughs> <laughs> but <clears throat> before we get into all that and some of your other adventures in the world, uh, like I always like to say, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got to do what you're doing today? Yeah, sure. So um, I started my professional career um, by getting very bored in college and dropping out and becoming a river guide. Um, and <laughs> in the process of kind of um, meandering around the uh, the world and living out of a backpack, I started to <clears throat> really develop a um, an interest in like, writing code and building websites and doing different things. And I had a lot of downtime because, you know, river guiding, as much fun as it is, is not overly demanding on your time schedule because you sort of go downstream around some rocks and then you're done. And, and then I had a lot of time on my hands and I was just, you know, I was living out of an 80 liter backpack and I had a laptop and, uh, and an internet connection and I was I'm a naturally curious person. Um, and so I just started doing some things as a side hustle um, and transitioned from kind of building websites for random people to working for a few larger companies, building data products, and ultimately um, sort of talked my way into a, uh, a gig founding and running a startup in the uh, transportation space. Um, and, and that kind of kicked everything off. You know, I had I'd gleaned a lot of different information uh, about running businesses and, um, and building products. And so I put that to use in, in startup number one and was really lucky to work with an incredibly talented group of individuals that I'd come across in my travels. And fast forward uh, seven years later, um, we're building startup number four and super stoked on it. And I've been working with that original team of, um, of talented founders for almost 10 years now um, in a variety of capacities, but seven of those building startups. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> it's interesting. Once you find good people to work with, what a joy. I mean, it, what an absolute joy. It, it really is incredible. I, I remember uh, I had a friend from Australia who was like touring the, the world uh, on his motorcycle and he met me in, in Patagonia and then he had, you know, come up through the United States and, and was in, in, uh, in Sacramento and, and the Bay Area. And we were hanging out one, one evening and he's like, man, he's like, you know, he's like, if I had friends and people that I work with, like your people, I don't think I would be riding my bike around the world. 
Um, and and not to say that you know I I love traveling and and I, you know I think everyone within my my sphere loves it as well and and we miss it uh, tremendously during this pandemic. But um, you know that's uh, something that I maybe I took for granted a little bit when I started out, but something that I've gained a, a very deep appreciation for over the last few years is just you know we've been so lucky to be able to work together as a team on stuff and kind of pursue our, our vision for impacting the world and creating a better future. And that's not something that a lot of people get. And so deeply, uh, deeply appreciative of that. It's, it's definitely a gift. It is a real gift. I mean, there's been a group of people that I've been at like three or four startups at. I mean, we always like, Oh, I'm going to do another one. Let's get, let's yeah. get the band back together. You know what I mean? Um, yep. Some of them have been successful. Some of them haven't been successful, but we always sort of resonate back on like, gosh, I really like working with you guys. Let's, you know, we got to figure out something to do. And I I don't know what it is about that. Maybe it's just the either. I mean, there's good and bad on that, right? There's also the comfort of it, which of course we all kind of think the same. Um, <clears throat> sometimes, you know, the challenge is that the outside world doesn't get in as much or you can't, you know, hire different people or as you grow, but the core at the core, it's when you find those people that really resonate with you and your inner vision of the world, it just makes the challenge and the struggle and the zig and zag <laughs> just a, like, it just makes it so much more pleasant. And, uh, it's really great that, uh, you found, found your tribe, I guess. I don't, I mean, maybe that's a, cliche word nowadays, but, uh, <laughs> I, I feel that way. And so, you know, to tell us a little bit about open grants, because, you know, when I first, I, I've, tr I've tried to get grants in the past and it's a disaster personally. It's just like, oh man, who wrote this software that the government uses <laughs> to apply? I mean, it's like 1990s. And I'm not joking when I say that it's like, when you look at the city of San Francisco, some of the website stuff that they have done, especially the board of supervisor website. Mm -hmm. It's literally like they just pull, they just pull the database rows into the page and it's like yeah. built on, <laughs> you know, application server pages or something. And I'm all really, <laughs> so tell me about this and like, how are you going to fix it and solve it is what I want to know. So. Yeah, it's, um, it is a, it's a mess. You know, um, I was actually, I'd say about four or five years ago, I get really into the story of uh, the Luddites, um, which uh, people use that as sort of a, you know, a term to you're a Luddite, but I don't know that everyone actually understands where it came from. Uh, but the Luddites were actually like, it was a group of people um, who actively fought against innovation in the textiles industry and they went around smashing things, and it's a it's a pretty interesting story. Um, but the upshot of all of that is to say that um, there are kind of two approaches to <laughs> to innovation out there. One is to run away from it and actively fight against it and try to maintain the status quo, and the other is to embrace it and work with it. And you know, there's some great modern examples of industries like. You know, if you look at what the taxicab industry has done in response to Uber and Lyft, right? Like they just tried to keep them down and didn't want to hear, you know, 
anything about it and and actively fought against it for so long and and now they're practically out of business and dead and and that's you know that's what's going to happen um that's what happens when you fight you know real disruptive innovation instead of adopting it and the government has that that same problem um they don't have the tools they need to navigate and engage with real innovators um so they're still you know they're still hitting up deloitte to try to build vaccine distribution and we all saw what happened there. It was, you know, a $40 billion, I think, no bid contract that Deloitte got to distribute the COVID vaccine. And look where it got us. It didn't, it doesn't work. You know, no states are using that system that they spent $40 billion on. And uh, and so the upshot of all of that is to say that open grants is designed to really allow the government and empower civil servants to connect with innovators and build better public-private partnerships. And what that looks like in reality is that at the moment, we've taken all of that data that's out there around grants and pushed it into a single really fast search engine so people can just be aware that the opportunities are there in the first place. Uh, but we're, what we're ultimately building is a new financial operating system for the government so that they can understand their stakeholders, make connections to those stakeholders, and then help those stakeholders really navigate the bureaucracy because there's a lot to unpack when you're working with the government. And there's a lot of, you know, for good reason, there's a lot of stakeholders and complexity and they, they want to be fair. Um, and the problem is right now, they just don't have a good way of doing it. And so they're getting outstripped and uh, left behind when it comes to technology where, you know, you have agencies that are still doing things on pen and paper and trying to cut you checks. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the old saying, no one ever got fired by hiring IBM. I think yeah. it's the same way. And and what's interesting is a lot of people don't understand that, you know, you hear all these big, big companies are like against regulation and against laws and against all this bureaucracy. Well, it turns out it absolutely benefits them more than anything. Mm-hmm. And you see example after example after example after example of this. You look at pharmaceutical industry. Yes, you know, we need health and safety and we need efficacy and the FDA has got its purpose, but all those regulations don't benefit the little guy. They benefit the big pharma company. Same goes for um, like transportation. Like I was, I used to be on this, uh, the Citizens Advisory Council or committee for the uh, MTA up here in San Francisco. And our job was to be like the citizen voice of the MTA and like we'd, we'd see all these projects. And I remember uh, one particular project, well, the, almost all project, but it was this big like upgrade infrastructure project. And I saw, I asked, well, so how many people bid on this? And they said, one. And I'm all, <laughs> just one? Yeah, well, you know, it's complicated process. And it was, d- don't get me wrong. Like I know why they were doing it. But the thing is, is like the, they had to, there's certain things they had to comply with. And it was almost impossible for any, any startup to do it mm-hmm. or any company that wasn't a massive conglomerate. And, and you just saw when you, when we went through the specs and I'm, and of course I'm this engineering mind, like the startup guy and I'm all, so this particular point, like I said something and well, that's optional. I'm like, how can that be optional? <laughs> like, it was, it was literally an API so that you could see all where all the, the buses were like, you know, like yeah. standards so that you could build other tools. No, oh, that's optional. You know, we, yeah. we don't get that. I'm like, really? 
But, but to your point, you know, government's not made for efficiency. It's made for, for fairness in this level, quote unquote, level playing field. I mean, ideally mm-hmm. that's what it's for and the common defense and all this sort of stuff. But how, how have you tried to unpack that and how, how, how has that been received? I mean, on one hand, I can see like, you know, the bureaucrats or the, you know, the, the great workers in, in government, which they are, I mean, they do a great job what, I mean, with what they have, honestly, how, how does that all unroll? I mean, what's been the response so far, I guess? Yeah, that's a great, uh, a great question. So <clears throat> a couple of things that we're doing. One, as I mentioned, the first kind of step we're taking is just to increase transparency and access to the, the existing actors within that ecosystem, which means that you know, folks on our platform can find and get matched to opportunities really quickly. Um, I'll guarantee that, you know, that MTA project that you're talking about probably got published on some weird listserv and went to like maybe 10 people or maybe it went to 100 people, but only 10 of them were relevant and only two of them actually read the thing and ultimately only one person applied. And that was probably by design because the team that was sourcing it didn't really want to deal with all that stuff anyways. So no one made an effort. Um, and you know, uh, in our experience, a lot of the civil servants we do work with really do have good intentions about, you know, they want to get out there, they want to connect with their stakeholders, they want to deploy capital and, and deploy grants and, and move the needle on whatever initiatives they're working on. <clears throat> but the problem is they don't have the tools to do it. And so as we have worked on this tool, we've gotten incredibly great responses from uh, the civil servants that we've engaged with. Um, and we've worked with, you know, We've had great discussions with federal agencies, state agencies, local government. You know, there's a lot of folks there who are trying to do good things and got, in, got into that space for the right reasons. Um, and they're really interested in seeing solutions um, because they're, you know, they're as frustrated as anyone else when, you know, imagine paying $40 billion and getting something that doesn't work. Now, they don't necessarily uh, they're not necessarily upset about the money because they don't really care about the money. Uh, but you know, they come off looking like, you know, not the greatest. And that's not great. You know, no one, no one likes to look that way. Um, like you've made a bad decision. No one enjoys that. And so uh, we, we've had great response and we certainly are excited about the folks who've really engaged and stepped up and been interested in getting some demonstrations on the ground. Um, so our, our first step is just really transparency and helping people navigate um, but the 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 vision and the thing that we're really excited about demonstrating is an actual like a better tool for engaging stakeholders and distributing capital. And that's that's the really exciting thing that we're looking forward toward is is really transforming fundamentally the way that grants are distributed. So tell me how open grants helps everyone be more transparent. yeah, great, <clears throat> great question. So effectively, you know, what happens now is that in government agencies and, and other folks, foundations as well, they're kind of publishing their, they're publishing their opportunities to partner their grants in whatever format they want to. So there's zero standardization and there's not a lot of centralization either. So if you're interested in grants for uh, an innovative approach to solving homelessness, for example, or something like that, you might look at several foundations. You might use Google. Um, you might pay a lot of money for a tool like Foundation uh, Center, I believe is what it's called, um, or pay a lot of money for a tool like Instrumental. 
um, which would only give you part of part of a view, right? They just have foundations and instrumental has some foundation and some government, but there's no central repository where you can find all these opportunities to partner. And that's bad for everybody, right? So statistically for the people giving away grants, they're going to end up giving grants to the same people. You're not going to get real innovation happening. There's a complete lack of diversity, equity, inclusion, all that stuff just doesn't exist. Um, and then for the folks looking for grants, I mean, it, it becomes this arduous process of, you know, how do I find them? And then, you know, heaven forbid you actually have to apply for one. Oh my goodness. Then like there's zero standardization there. And that's also hard. Like it's just a, it's a nightmare. And all of that in order to give people who are doing really cool things, money to do cool things. Like why wouldn't you want to give the awesome people capital in a way that's easy so that they can go about changing the world, you know? Um, it, you're literally like, the, these are the kind of things that are impacting people solving cancer, um, addressing homelessness, addressing, you know, issues around mental health, the drug, you know, drug addiction. Like these are people who are effectively saints trying to like save humanity. And, and we're like, hey, here's this really, really hard process for you to get money. And even if you find the opportunities, then we're going to make it extra hard for you to actually, you know, put together a proposal to actually get any money. <laughs> so you might not win. Uh, so and, true. So true. I mean, so it, true. <laughs> it's terrible. And it's such a backwards way of thinking. So what we've developed is a platform that is effectively a decentralized autonomous organization where companies can sign up in a single place, create a profile and then get instantly connected to the opportunities that are good for them. And that improves transparency on both sides of the table. Um, and then what they're able to do is based on that profile, the agency who is deploying capital or the group that's deploying capital can make a decision quickly and efficiently. And the default activity is to effectively fund things that come through this, this system. And there's just a set, uh, like a central thesis that's built in to the, to the smart contract that allows them to deploy capital without taking any additional steps, right? So the platform takes care of it for them. So it is an autonomous uh, vehicle for doing this. And there's there's certainly some human being, like human review in, in the loop uh, of what we've created here, but it's a, it's a complete reimagining of how we deploy capital efficiently and quickly to people. And, and that's you know, another thing that I won't get started on, but it also takes a long time to get grants, especially from the federal government. And, you know, sometimes you have companies, really innovative ones that are interested in partnering. And by the time they get the grant, they've like shot light years ahead of, you know, what they were going to get the grant for. And it, it just, you know, it, it it's a, com the current system is just completely non-functional out of sync with everything that, you know, that innovation talks about and stands for. Um, and so what this is, is a, a platform that allows you to deploy capital quickly, efficiently, and at scale um, on parity with what you would expect in uh, in the private sector. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this, yeah, when I was on that Muni board, it was the same thing. I was just, I was shocked, but then I was also like, okay, this is just part of the process and it's been this way for decades and decades because you know it it's hard i think it's hard for civil servants in terms of how to navigate all this because they're really in a tough spot it's like 
I, okay, on the one hand, I want to be able to be innovative, but on the other hand, I don't want to waste the taxpayers' money. I mean, and and people may think, oh, well, they just they don't care. Well, yeah, they may not care that they like kind of quote unquote, you know, spent the money. I mean, there there's no like uh, repercussions for them, you know, not you know like quote unquote wasting money, which maybe is the wrong word to use for it, but what you like said before, what they really want is the solution that works. Cause the reason why they got in is to help people and to help society and to build yeah. a better community in a world. Right. I mean, it's a noble thing. It's a very noble thing. And uh, you see this, th- this is, has been, you know, amplified during COVID. It is, it is amazing how, you know, some people have been trying to innovate and like get things going, but then the process like gets in the way and so then they have to have these emergency, you know, process deviations. And so what's interesting is that you, like, you go, okay, well, okay, you have this emergency process deviation. You're like, why don't you just make that the norm? Yeah. And like, you know, <laughs> and, and you know what I mean? Like, I, like I, I was on this uh, uh, economic recovery task force for the city of San Francisco that Mayor Breed put me on. And, you know, entrepreneurial, of course. I have a different perspective on it. There's a lot of other people, a lot of different stakeholders, probably like a hundred people on this thing and trying to figure out how do you reboot an economy? How do you get the things to the people that need it? What are, what's the drivers of all this? And of course, throughout the whole process, it's all about inclusion and, and um, equality, like throughout the whole thing, like every time it was all about, you know, inclusion and this, and we got to make sure about the most vulnerable. I mean, every thing you could imagine they're trying to like optimize for. And, and it's a hard job because there's some things that can't be optimized. It's just, I'm sorry, there just can't be. But what was interesting is I remember I was in one of these breakout sessions and I'm like, well, why don't we just throw all the regulations out and start from scratch? And they're like, well, why would we do that? I said, well, why not? Like, do you guys have any data on what's really effective? And like, are, are these processes actually effective? And what I meant by that was, you know, by default, let's just assume everyone's cool until they're not cool, <laughs> which yep. it almost seems like what you're doing here with open grants. I mean, I may be making it a little more simplistic, but as you get more people looking at this and getting involved, the qual I mean, generally the quality goes up, like just generally the more open things are, the more the process is simple. And, you know, like in, in, and what's interesting is because pro process is a good thing. Frameworks are a good thing, but you got to look to see what part of your process actually works. Yes. So, so I have this you know hypothesis, which who knows if it's right or not, but I'm like, you know what? 80% of laws are just worthless. They don't do anything. You know, I mean, they don't like, if you didn't have them, no one would be any the wiser. Yep. <laughs> and my guess is probably 80% of the process doesn't matter, but the 20% that does matter, like nail that. It, it, has, has that been something you found? Or like, I'm just curious on like how, not only how well the, the civil servants, but the, the startups and the companies that are interacting, but also just the overall quality of results. Have you have, do you have any data on that? Yeah, so there's actually really cool research that we are doubling down to validate um, as we work through our process. Um, but there's there's some great research out there that basically says, hey, the current grants process that you have is effectively 
<clears throat> random without the benefit of actual like randomness. Um, and, and what it says is, look, if you just randomly gave, you know, 10,000 people, you know, 25 grand and then like made those bets, you would have the same results as if you like handpicked two big like PIs and dumped a million dollars for each of them. Like that, you know, there's a lot of data that supports that. And, and it is effectively like, yes, you have to correct for outright fraud and like, you know, really bad actors. Um, but if you've done that and you have validated on a basic level, like, is this sort of feasible? Uh, the next step should just be like, give them money and see what, like, give them access to the resources they need, do it quickly and do it at scale and then follow up and see what happens. And you're going to get better results than what you're doing now, because uh, right now the process is so deeply flawed and so deeply like in you know, like it comes out of this culture of incumbency that's been built over the last 20 years. It, and the data shows that, you know, the data shows that over the last 20 years, we've invested more money than ever in into grant funding. And we have seen less returns than ever. Like those trend lines are going opposite directions. We're investing more. We're seeing less for the money we're investing. And all of the data points to the fact that, hey, if you let go a little bit and stop trying to like insert your own ego, like just statistics solves this for you. Like yeah. you are statistically not getting the best people because you don't talk to enough people. Right. You don't do it at the scale you should. Right. And if you just like let go and let go of your ego a little bit and let go and, and just trust it in science. Um, shocker. Uh, yeah. Who knew that statistics, it's, it's the only math that I really enjoyed in, in, uh, <laughs> in, my in college that didn't last very long. Yeah. But it's, you know, Statistics would save us. Science, who knew? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, th there's always the the lies, damn lies, and statistics thing because people yeah. can take statistics and p hack it and do nefarious things. Yeah. But to your point, you know, one of my favorite classes in college was probability random phenomenon because we had to learn that. And because I, uh, I have a degree in electrical engineering, so I have an engineering degree. We had to learn probability and random phenomenon because a lot of the stuff that we did for like physics is based on probability and random phenomenon. So, yeah. you know, the particle wave equations and all that stuff, it's like, well, you know, you sort of, is it a, you know, is it a particle? Is it a wave? Like you, that's a probabilistic <laughs> thing, right? Yeah. And so, so it's fascinating when you think about probability statistics and, you know, shots on goal, right? And I have this, I actually have this hypothesis that um, about startups and, and it's actually somewhat proven by 500 startups, the accelerator. So my, my take is exactly what you just said. And I've read that study and I found it so fascinating where they're like, just give everyone money yep. at some level after they've hit some standard, mm -hmm. literally it's pulling balls out of an urn on which one's going to be successful. I mean, theoretically, the more shots on goal, the more success. Yep. That's exactly what 500 startups does. That's exactly what all of these you know seed stage accelerators do. The venture capital guys play this game all the time. Mm -hmm. They hit a standard, they figure out the standard. When you're above the standard, it's literally random if you're going to be successful. Now, to you may think, Jari, how could that be? <laughs> well, <laughs> if you're if you're if you look at first principles, which I think is kind of where this sort of study went to, when you look at first principles and you say, okay, we need better energy policy, we need renewables, just like generally like renewables. 
It doesn't matter what the renewable is as long as it meets certain criteria. Same thing for vaccine distribution. We need to distribute vaccines. Like, okay, well, how do we do that? It's, it's, it's just fundamentally that has to happen in this time frame. If you've got more people working on it, it will find the best, the best answer. And there's actually a very famous uh, study where all this uh, statistical stuff came from. Mm-hmm. There was this one, one guy back in like the 1800s. I forgot his name, but he was at a, a county fair. And he's like, hmm, you can predict and win money if you predict the weight of a cow. And so he had all these people would write down the weights of the cow, right? And 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 he, I don't know, there's maybe a hundred people. And then whoever got closest won, I think won the cow, right? So he's like, oh, well, this is really interesting. I wonder if if I take all the statistics of all of these guesses, I wonder if like the average will be close to the weight of the cow. And so he did it. And it turns out that the crowd, this is the wisdom of crowds thing. The crowd yeah. on average, when they average all the guesses together, picked the right weight of the cow within yeah. some statistical, like, and he tried this over and over and over again. He's like, wow. So the, really the crowd, the more samples you have, the more things working on it, the better the outcome <laughs> mm-hmm. proven throughout all of time. Like, I mean, even the Pareto principle is somewhat based on, well, not really. Pareto principle is all about um, 80% of your results come from 20% of your effort, right? So, right. Yeah. You know, and, but you don't know what 20%, that's the reason why you make the pool bigger, right? And so I really love this idea, man. I really do. And, and it is interesting how I think this is especially important in times of crisis because what government is not good at is responding to a crisis. Now, it depends on the crisis and if they've trained for it. Military, as an example, they train for crises. Some of the, even some of the FEMA stuff, although people bash on it, there's certain things they're good at. But generally, if it's out of the status quo, out of the norm, they're going to, it's going to take time. I mean, I give kind of give them a pass because it's like, it's a different model. Like you're not, <laughs> you're not like innovating as fast as you can. So, um, yeah. with, with all the data and, and, you know, doubling down on these studies, um, how, how are you, how do you think you're going to affect policy? Because a lot of this is policy driven and laws and, you know, like, I'm always like, you know, I think 80% of laws are useless, but that's just me. Um, but how, how do you think you're going to impact policy? Because that's, that's what, you know, John Deary over at the Center for American Entrepreneurship is trying to do. So what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. And, and that's a, it's a really, you know, it's a reason that we have, you know, relationships with folks like John and, and others who are just, you know, champions for entrepreneurs and innovation and, and bringing, you know, really bringing and empowering civil servants to do the things they need to do. Um, a, a big part of it, frankly, is building the proof points out really early on. So we're working with you know, we, over the over the last seven years, we've we've built in in the GovTech space on and off, and so we have some folks who are you know champions or fans of what we're doing and interested in working with them and, and building it. But to really impact change, um, you know, it's just going to take time, and that's a that's a reality we talk about with our investors all the time. We're like, look, you know, we, we have these we have these models and we generate revenue, but like to really like achieve the vision of like powering the government with a new approach to uh, 
you know, a new financial operating system. You know, that's going to take some time. And and it takes partners. It takes uh, it takes buy-in from so many different stakeholders. But you know the 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 thing that I always talk about with both entrepreneurs and and folks that we work with is, you know, the important thing is to get involved too, to to be actively you know engaged in discussions. Because once again, the the government. I think people forget that the government is here for us. So like, uh, you know, ostensibly it was created to like support the citizens and the stakeholders. And I, you know, there's a whole other discussion we can have someday about how I think it's drifted far, far away from that. But um, that's what it's there for. And, you know, I think people forget uh, frequently, you know, the amount of times that we're able to go have discussions with people working on legislation and and meet with our Congress, Congress people. And, you know, those are great. You know, it's they're they're great interactions. Um, And I think if more people were more engaged in our democracy, um, there would be uh, an even better, you know, opportunity for this kind of groundswell of change to happen. And, and that's part of what we're doing is, you know, we want to build community around this and empower our, you know, stakeholders, both people uh, within our marketplace, on our platform, our users, our investors. You know, we, we encourage all of them to have <laughs> to have discussions with our uh, with, with, you know, their local civil servants and I, I think, you know, ultimately that's what's going to have to happen is one, we're going to do everything in our power to build relationships and partner with the big dogs, even who are in that space. Like, you know, the, the Deloitte's, the McKinsey's, the Accenture's of the world already have relationships and you can build on those. There's, a, there's, you know, there's a business path forward, but I think more importantly, there needs to be a cultural shift where we not only have the data and the insights to be, you know, to have access to government and to, have transparency in the way they spend our money, but also to, you know, really re-engage people and empower them to say, all right, well, you know, have a meeting with your with your congressperson about the business you're building. You know, meet with the agencies that you're interested in working with and ask them, hey, what can we do to help you? Because just that question, it often really gets a great response. You know, the amount of times that we've wandered in and said, hey, we fix X, Y, and Z. And we know that your agency struggles with it. How can we engage? And a lot of times, you know, they have an answer for you. They say, all right, well, we're looking to hire people to do this. Here's the things you have to do to work with us. And while right now I think that the system to like actually get to work with the government is deeply flawed um, and there's other folks fixing kind of procurement and some of those things. But uh, that, you know, that whole space, one of the big pieces that's missing is engagement from citizens. There's a lot of people who just go their whole lives. They pay taxes. They never once sort of engage in any kind of political or, you know, legislative process. And that's not that's not how this was designed. And I think that there, you know, there's definitely been some failings. The government has terrible tools to like, you know, if you ask the average person how to go like offer and participate in a public comment period on proposed legislation, they probably don't know how to do that. But you can. It's there. It's on the internet. Uh, but it's terrible. And so part of what Open Grants is, is, you know, imagining is a world where we have people who are empowered and engaged. Um, and so there's, there's a, there's a whole kind of community and, and ethos that we want to build around that as well. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true that it's hard sometimes to engage with government. But what I found through doing community activism, and I was the you know, neighborhood association president in my neighborhood in San Francisco for a while. And the the power of 
community grassroots organizing, I cannot understate. It is the most powerful force that it, it just, you know, one of the things that people I think need to realize is that elected officials, civil servants sometimes don't know what to do because they're, they're pulled in a, a bunch of different ways. This is absolutely true for politicians. Like for politicians, you may think have got it all figured out. Some of them do, most of them don't. And most of them actually don't know what to do. Yeah. They actually struggle with that. I mean, I remember a couple of, of the community activism stuff we were doing uh, specifically for beta breakers here in San Francisco. Um, I was part of this, this coalition to try to save beta breakers and make it fun for everyone on the 100th anniversary of beta breakers, right? Like it's the, this <laughs> massive institution here. Just look this up. It's an insane beta breakers is like the thing. Right. And I just remember, you know, it was, the, the race itself, it descended into chaos and there was just all this bad behavior. It was just like awful. And, and I lived in the North Panhandle neighborhood, which is literally ground zero for the craziness of this. You know, everyone would come up Hay Street Hill, super drunk and pass out in the Panhandle. Literally like, and you can imagine a hundred thousand people doing this. It's it's a nightmare. And and I remember the the forces trying to make this work. Um, it ended up being a huge collaboration between neighborhoods, the government, the race organizers, media, because see, the, the fundamental thing was we all loved the idea. We actually loved the old beta breakers, which was a really fun, everyone would hang out. It was just like, just, it just felt like this beautiful thing that brought everyone together and it like literally descended into chaos. And so the power of local grassroots organizing to impact your community and affect your community is super strong. And once you get to the point where you can actually organize around that and then like propose solutions, I mean, they love that. And and, and the reason is, is because you're right. It's for us. Like it's our thing. And, and, you know, people you know complain a lot about government and politicians and civil servants and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, they perform a vital role in society that if it wasn't there, we would literally descend into chaos. And, and you may think, oh, we could do it more efficient. If you're a Silicon Valley bro, you're like, oh, I'll just use technology. Yeah, that's the wrong attitude because you don't understand the role of government clearly, <laughs> right? Clearly, if you were trying to optimize everything, society breaks down because yeah. there's certain things that can't be optimized. And people may think that's a bit controversial, but it's true. Um, so I'm, I'm, again, I'm really fascinated by what you guys are trying to do. I think it's just a very noble endeavor and how, 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 how as entrepreneurs can we, you know, you, you mentioned a little bit about how we may be able to get involved, but like, are there some other ways to get involved? Like how, like if, if you're just trying to engage with government, do you have any like tips other than of course, being on open grants, <laughs> but is there, is there like things that we should do to like make it make our chances a little better? Yeah, certainly. So, I mean, there's a couple of organizations, uh, I'll just mention Engine, um, E-N-G-I-N-E, um, that does really, they do really great advocacy work and um, have a lot of great resources for entrepreneurs looking to work on different um, issues. Uh, they just hosted uh, yesterday, actually, just hosted a great, uh, you know, 
a great webinar on uh, Section 230, which is all about holding companies accountable for user-generated content on their platforms. And that's just like, that's one really concrete example of like, hey, you know, Facebook, Google, like the, the big dogs, they don't, you know, they've got a whole team of attorneys that are working on this and like, it's not a big deal. But for all of us, you know, smaller <laughs> startups that are, you know, pre-seed or seed or, you know, you know, we don't have a team of attorneys that are going to help. And we definitely don't have a, a team of government affairs people that are going to help us get involved. So working together with organizers like Engine, who can help you understand like who to call, who to talk to, who maybe who you should be engaging with and, and voicing your opinion. Um, they, they can be a really great way to make this easier for you instead of having to go out and engage on your own. Um, not everyone wants to like hang out and like check out the ECFR and submit comments to to uh, to Congress, things like that. It's not always <laughs> it's not always the easiest approach. Um, the Center for American Entrepreneurship and what John Deary is working on, another great organization that's, you know, I highly recommend that you check out. Um, you know, they're doing great work to really, I, they formed the first startup caucuses in, in Congress. Um, you know, they're doing incredible work there on, on that front. So there's places where, you know, depending on your level of, of savvy and, and bandwidth, you may want to just reach out to these organizations and figure out and ask them, like, what do we do? Um, how can we get more involved? Um, but the, the other way to get more involved is like, look up who your congressman, like who, look up who your congressperson is, look up, you know, your local officials, uh, figure out, you know, you know, maybe if you're building a facility in a neighborhood, figure out, you know, what's going on in that neighborhood and what other things, you know, what other issues you should be aware of. There's, there's so much, you know, there's so many different ways that startups impact the regions and where they work. Um, and depending on what they're working on, if you're doing hardware or if you're delivering a service or if you're building software, there's, there's incredible opportunities to get involved. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we were super excited to be able to do early on and with open grants was work with the California Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, they had a really specific, you know, goal. They wanted to reach more veterans and connect more veteran-owned businesses to opportunities. And we said, hey, that's something our platform does. Let's use that as a way to run an alpha. And, you know, there's there's great opportunities to get involved across the board. Government literally needs, uh, if you're delivering a service and it's not a dating app, they need it. Like, you know, like there's, 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 there's not to, You um, mean it's, not, it's not going to be for farmers only kind of thing <laughs> for no, government no, officials. No. <laughs> and this is not to dump on, on dating no, apps. No, of course all, not. No, no, no. It's but, just context. But, yeah. There's definitely like there's definitely a group um, that that can not only get involved with government but also sell to government and this, so there's there's an economic incentive for you to reach out and double down on that. But even if you're not um, even if you're not in the position where you're looking at government as a potential uh, sale or potential customer, you know I do encourage I, I encourage everyone to just be involved in you know policy and and what's happening around around the world because or around definitely around you know, government, um, wherever you are, because it, it really, ultimately it will impact you at some point. And at some point, you know, you're probably paying taxes, which means that it's already impacting you. So you might as well, you know, you might as well participate. <laughs> no, totally. And, and, and if you have a physical location, your business is in a city or a town or whatever, and you're going to do anything like expand or, you know, get involved with your local community, talk to your neighborhood associations, talk to the people that are around your business. It pays itself off in so many ways. 
I, I always remember when a new business was going to open in NOPA, um, the first step is, you know, they come to the neighborhood association and say, hey, this is what we're going to do. C- can we talk to the neighbors? And I cannot, I can't stress this enough. <laughs> the, the businesses that did that had a way smoother time going through city government than the ones that didn't. And the reason is, is like, because city governments listen to neighborhood associations, listen to community groups, listen to those stakeholders that elect them. They're not, they honestly are very persuaded by a well-organized group of citizens that have the best interest of the community heart. I can't stress this enough. And this is the thing that drives me crazy about the Silicon Valley culture at times. Everyone thinks that technology solves everything. It's absolute fallacy. Does not solve everything. People working on problems solve things. Technology is a piece. It's a mm-hmm. tool. It's not a panacea. The what what a government may need and what your you know bro app may need or your dating app may need is different. And and if you have the ad and this is, happens in San Francisco all the time. This is why I know this for a fact. If you have the attitude that you can go in and fix government by your cool new technology that you will get cast aside because yeah. technology changes so fast. Your startup's going to go out of business. This city has been here for like what? 150, 200, over 200 years. Like they kind of know what they're doing. Like you can think, Oh, it's not as efficient. It's been here long. It's been here as long. There's been a city here in San Francisco as an example, as long as we've been a, a nation. Right. Yeah. You know, it's called Rupa Buena <laughs> back then. Right? Like the Presidio has been here 1776. It's been here forever. Right. So don't discount the longevity and what they're optimizing for. They're not optimizing for short term gains. They're optimizing for decades, centuries of, you know, of an institution that's going to outlive your startup and going to outlive you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, 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 it, and when you come with that attitude and you're humbled by it and you organize your community around you, you make change. You just make change, you know? And I think it's funny how a lot of, a lot of, a lot of reasons why I think startups and particularly tech startups don't get involved. Um, but if you go look at all the major tech companies, And I challenge you, everyone, to go do this. Look up government affairs. (laughs) Look at how many people and lawyers they have fighting for them, fighting for them. And that's why John's what John's doing at the Center for American Entrepreneurship is so so important. Like, just he's your advocate. Mm -hmm. You need advocates, right? And I think Mm -hmm. what you guys are doing at um, Open Grants is also an advocacy in one sense. And of course, you know, I'm just. I think it's such a good idea to try to bring, you know, bring more people to the table. Right. Um, Cause you're right. Statistics don't lie. I mean, they do sometimes, but I mean, like, <laughs> the more shots on goal, the better, better solution you're going to get. So. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. And I, I just want to double down on what you just said and just say that there, you know, there's certainly a sort of like a lead a horse to water aspect of, of GovTech that I think, you know, is certainly one of the reasons that, our team is uniquely qualified to be doing what we're doing um, is you have to understand that, that there's like, you have to understand the cultural drivers behind these organizations, whether it be 
like an economic development group or a government agency. And you have to you have to use your tools to empower them. You can't come in and say it like because it, it, it just doesn't work. You can't come in and say, like, this solves the thing. You, it, it's a tool that they're going to use to really, you know, better carry out their mission. And having that mindset of not only like empowering civil servants to do the important work they're doing, but also just like having the mindset of, look, there's a lot of complexity behind all this regulation and legislation and whether or not, you know, whether or not we get around to changing all of that, there has to be a, a like a knowledge of like, we need to work within it and not, we're, we're not here to blow things up. We're here to empower and help you navigate and to the extent engage in a process to improve how we address things. And, and that's part of it, right? That's, that's the community aspect that we've been talking about. It's like, look, yeah, we know that we're not going to like swoop in and change how the government like hands out money right away, but we can work through a process to demonstrate that this is effective and then hopefully organize and build community around it. And then maybe we'll get to a point where we have discussions about this, but there's, there's so much like, you know, there's trillions of dollars that are on the table. And so there's a huge market before we get to like, legislative changes. And that's one of the things that makes it really exciting for us is not only can we do good, but we can make money and just be, you know, be a part of the process and be a solution instead of, um, instead of the, the alternative, which is to potentially like fight against it or, or try to work around it. Let's, let's work with them. Yeah. And you know what, that's a great place to end. I really appreciate what you guys are trying to do. Thanks so much for being on the podcast and, yeah, good luck. Keep in touch. And yeah, just let me know what we can do to, to help move that forward. Sounds great. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.